0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Welcome to episode two of the Believe in SMU podcast with your co-host Brian McCann and I am Stephen Peters from Rivals.com. Brian, man, how's it going?
0: Going good, Steve. How you doing, man?
1: Uh, Just living the all-American dream as we can uh, best do each and every day, right?
0: Absolutely. I'm going to start you,
1: Awesome, man. Well, Got an exciting, uh, interesting matchup coming up between uh, SMU and Tulane this week. Um, actually, tomorrow, uh, depending on when this airs. Actually, uh, but we've got a ranked SMU team versus a very downtrodden Tulane team um, right now. Uh, similar vibes of last year. SMU was ranked in this game, went to overtime. Uh, that was on the road. This one's at home. Um, SMU fourteen point favorites uh, as it stands right now, according to whichever betting line that you're into, if you're into that sort of thing. Um so but things are things are trending right for me. They're getting Bentley back. They're coming off the open week. Um and you're going against a team that's been susceptible. So Brian just kinda just walk us through what you're thinking with this game.
0: Um I'm excited going into it. I definitely think that coming off of the an off week, the bye week, um I think we have the potential to see a very good version of what this SMU team could be on the field, especially given their opponent in Tulane who they do put up a decent amount of points, but just defensively, they haven't been able to stop anybody. Um, I am kind of wondering to, to see where we're going to go as far as, or how we're going to do as far as their passing attack, because that's where they you know like to move the ball. That's how they like to score. And as we mentioned last week, that's kind of our weakest point of the team at this point is that secondary. And so definitely anxious to kind of see how that's going to match up and align with them. Uh, Hopefully our front seven can get some pressure on that quarterback. They definitely don't run the ball that often, or if they do do it often, they don't do it well. I don't think they've had a 100-yard rusher yet this season, if I'm not mistaken. And so definitely definitely just excited, hopefully, like we said, we can... See all that potential realized on this game, and kind of catapult us into Houston on a high note.
1: Yeah, um, you know Tulane's a, a weird team um, to kind of peg uh, right now. I mean, they they played outstanding against Oklahoma, and they had them on the ropes, and then they needed a uh, miracle interception to uh, end the drive and and gut out the win. Uh, and then they played, uh, I think, an FCS school, and you know, did pretty well against them. But mm-hmm. it's just been Five straight losses uh, since, and you know that they, they've had some injury concerns. Um, they've they've gotten off to slow starts, uh, according to Gary Smith, who runs the uh, the Wave Report on the two lane side of things for rivals. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, really just trying to uh, get things going. Um, you know, they obviously they had some. Uh, I think it was Hurricane Ida, uh, whichever one it was that made them have to uh, vacate New Orleans for a couple of weeks. So they've had some, they've had some weird things going on um, outside of football that's been affecting it, and then just injuries and slow play. Um, but one thing that, that he mentioned, and you just alluded to, and we've talked about it before already, is the secondary. I think, I think SMU's front seven uh, is probably one of the best in the in the conference. Um, again, I'm just basing that off of what they did, holding Navy down to 177 yards rushing, about half yeah, of late, about half of what they normally average. Um, but it's that secondary, man. I just I don't understand. There's talent there. Um, You know, they brought it in, or it's been cultivated, and they have you know a new secondary coach along uh, to go along with Jim Levitt, the new uh, DC. Just. Uh, something's missing and that's kind of what i told It's like i don't know what's what's happening with this with this team in the secondary it's just it's not trickling back to that that unit um and i don't know how much carryover there should be from the front line to the linebackers to the secondary maybe this is something you can speak about but as an overall collective unit that's the weakest point i mean how does that work usually you have maybe one or two units who are playing the uh, lights out. And then you have one that you're just, you're kind of holding your breath every time that they drop back to pass.
0: Yeah, I think it's just, it comes down to communication and just discipline um, on that back end. Of course, we're going to get a lot of the, you know, we got to be more disciplined. We're going to get the double moves. We're going to get the rubber routes. We're going to get the things that are designed to guess what we do. Um, not to say what those front seven guys do is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but they are able to get their hands on their guys a lot sooner, they're able to kind of dictate more of their play as opposed to on that secondary, you kind of it's, – it's a lot more reactive, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, just a lot of it comes on just that communication, and just that being, being disciplined. Of course, you know, like you said, you've got those first two units, those front two units that are playing very well, and maybe they are communicating, but you look at – unless you're dropping a, a D lineman or something, you're really only communicating – with those linebackers when you're in those zone coverages and things of that nature. Outside of that, you know, the secondary is kind of back there doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, hoping it's just a matter of their, their, of course, they got a new system this season. So hopefully they're just kind of working on getting everything together and getting smooth and becoming an actual unit instead of guys kind of going out there and playing as individuals out there.
1: Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, you know that you say that they they don't really communicate with the the front you know the linebackers may be on on zones just so everybody knows where they're supposed to be and everything like that, but it's usually just mm-hmm. that unit that's talking to itself what mm-hmm. What credence is there to if they if the front seven's getting pressure, it makes the secondary better i mean we've t- you know you, you look at the pro level and you know Dan uh, Quinn comes into Dallas and he starts you know. Revitalizing that that front seven to where it's getting pressure regularly, and, and you know, have Digs being a you know all pro playmaker. Um, you know, how much does that does that play in part with it? Like, is it that the front seven's doing their job? Does that make the secondary the secondary's life easier, or is it the secondary needs to be able to hold its own regardless of what's going on up front?
0: It's twofold, right? So uh, the secondary doesn't need to be able to hold their own, however. I don't care you, you mentioned, you know, Trayvon Diggs. I don't care if he's back there. He can't cover for five seconds, you know, and uh-huh. so the more pressure you get on that quarterback, it makes a secondary life a lot easier. And not only as far as, um, reading routes, but also just reading that quarterback. If he's got to get the ball out, if you know, oh, you know, we're bringing a lot of heat this time, we're bringing more than they can block, that ball's going to be out quick. So it changes up what you're reading and what the, what the options are for a receiver on his routes he's got to run, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely one of those things where they do work in tandem. However, the secondary does still need to be able to hold their own um, within reason.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I 100% agree. I just want to get a, you know, former DB's perspective on that. You know, obviously the game's changed throughout the years, even in the short, you know, uh, time that you've been away uh, or since you've been away, you know, it's changed and it continues to evolve. So, uh, it always benefits the the offense usually, and how it changes. So I just kind of get an uh, understanding of you know how that works usually, because you hear it on TV all the time. The defense getting pressure up front, you know the secondary is uh you know it, it, they're they're able to make plays uh, much more frequently. So I'm just curious. Yeah,
0: yeah. When um, you get those you get those dogs coming to the quarterback, you know he's just throwing that ball out there. He's trying to get it out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's it's easier for those linebackers in that secondary to just kind of sit back, especially if you're getting the tips and overthrows. That's, you know, what you pray for on that back end. And Amen. so um, it, it's definitely one of those things where the the front seven is definitely doing their part. They're keeping pressure on those quarterbacks. They're getting home a lot. Um, it's just a matter of, like I said, just staying disciplined. And hopefully, like we said, with this bye week that SMU had, That secondary is able to communicate, you know, a little more. And just get familiar with each other. That's another thing. It's not just the system or just the plays that are called. You know, those players also have to be familiar with each other. You know, if I'm playing corner, I got to know if I have a safety who likes to gamble a little more. He's going to be more aggressive on those end-breaking routes. Or does he like to stay more over the top? And I can play more aggressive on those end-breaking routes. We're playing the same coverage, but I just got to know who's back there, you know, playing the coverage with me. And so I think as those guys – you know, getting the fire a little bit more. They they go through those times and they they are forced to communicate more. I think it'll it'll gradually continue to get better over time.
1: No, uh, some good points. But luckily, you know, for SMU, yeah, Tulane has put up some some yards and some points this year. Um, but to, to Geary's points in our conversations back and forth, he said that. Uh, The wide receivers struggle to get uh, past press coverage and uh, have dropped too many passes. So that's going to, I think, work in SMU's favor. I think, um, you know, that front seven is going to be able to get pressure on on Tulane. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, press coverage out of SMU as opposed to being in that soft
0: man, soft zone coverage that they've been kind of rolling with. Uh, That might be the way to go. That might be the way to go, given the, the talent that we have, you know. Line yep. those guys up. It's you and him. We don't got to worry about coverages. We don't got to worry about reading routes. It's you and him. Beat You know, yep. go win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just if that's how they they're getting beat on the outside, uh, I'm okay with that because they're 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 up in their face and the guy just made a great move off a line and got past your coverage. That happens. But if it's soft coverage and there's a broken, there's a, there's a breakdown and who's supposed to be over the top or not getting there or didn't run deep enough on their, on their zone protect on coverage. You know, that's what I have an issue with is just um, those small nuances of of playing in DB. That's where it'll, you know, grab my gears the most. Um, you know, that one-on-one stuff, that, just, that happens. You know, you, you get the best of him, he gets the best of you. The only other yeah. concern I have, though, and it, it happened against Navy, um, and it could happen again this this uh, timeout, is uh, according to Gary, is that the Chip Long, their offensive coordinator, he likes to be clever in his playmaking or play-calling uh, sets and then uh, loves to throw to his tight ends. Uh, we've seen that out of SMU. Um you know they like to go to Grant. They like to go to the uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Probably look at the roster, uh, but he likes to. Uh, they like to do the same thing: is go over the top over those linebackers, kind of bait them in, uh, draw them up, and then go over the top. And like we said, um, Navy did it; and they got one out of it, and it, it can hurt. Um, but hopefully, SNU's prepared for that.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping so. As we, you know, said that that linebacking group is is pretty good, and they are athletic, and so. Once again, this just comes down to being disciplined as long as, you know, their eyes are good and they stick to what their assignments are supposed to be. You know, can expect to maybe see them sneak one or two back there, but kind of as you did and maybe it will serve more as a wake-up call as opposed to a game-changing type of thing. And, uh, you know, we can go on and be successful from there.
1: Absolutely. So with all that being said about – this, this game, um, like I said, last year's was weird. Uh, SMU was on the road. They were ranked, feeling good about themselves, and it went into overtime. Um, so I'm just curious. Uh, hopefully it doesn't have that same kind of way where we're playing down to an opponent. We can actually um, play a full you know, 60 minutes, you know, something we talked about last, uh, last episode as well, just not playing the full 60 minutes. And if they can get out of their way long enough, they shouldn't have an issue with Tulane. Um, but if you know Tulane gets up early, they they they're healthy, and they play the same way against they they did against Oklahoma. then no we could be in the dogfight again,
0: right? And I'm hoping um, that's just where we have you know been complimenting this coaching staff. I think they're going to do a good job of getting these guys ready to come out and and do what we need to do. I think we can come out here if we jump on them early. It should be an easy game, and we'll be able to you know fine tune these things headed in uh to a next week.
1: Right. So. With that being said, what, what, are you, what are you expecting out of this game? What, what, you got a prediction? You just general vibe? What are you feeling about it?
0: My thoughts are we're going to come out and, and jump on them early, offensively. Defensively, like we said, we're kind of feeling it out. I'm not really sure what to expect there. But offensively, I do feel like we're going to come out. We're going to strike fast. We're going to strike early and hopefully try to get some type of points up there on the board. Um, and deepest to come out and get a few stops so that we can kind of create that separation early and then um, take control of the game.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm kind of expecting too, uh, or at least that's what I want for them to do. I, I think SMU will pull away probably in the middle quarters or early fourth and uh, kind of coast to a victory. Um, what I don't want them to do is to get it to a big lead and then kind of give it away like they did against USF. Um, mm-hmm. I, that was ugly. That was an ugly. What was it? 15 minutes stretched over the first and second quarter to where, uh, you know, at USF was on the on the doorstep of looking to have a halftime lead. Right. Um, so I don't want that to happen, nor do I want to see what happened against UNT in, the, in that first home game, or the second home game, I should say, where they're just, they could not get anything going and it took one big hit to finally get something and, and get a lead. But it, it was ugly football in that first half really. Um, so I, I, I want them to, to play the whole game. I expect I expect them to coast to about a 15, 16, 17 point win. Um, but hopefully it's, it's you know, they get garbage time uh, touchdowns and make it closer than it, uh, you SMB pulling away late, so that's kind of where I'm seeing this one
0: playing out, right? And like I said, I, I, I hear you on that, and I'm just hoping that, like I said, we're going to come out and dominate. This is the time where you gotta kind of got to start flipping that switch, right? Yep. They are exactly halfway through the season, you're coming off of a bye week, you have an opponent that you should, you know, easily win going into a tough opponent the following week. To me, this is where we have to step up. This is where we have to start, you know, getting those things together and eliminating those those bigger mistakes. Of course, the mistakes are going to happen, but you're hoping to just see the small things here and there, maybe a missed tackle or whatever, but you don't want to see, you know, a tight end running up the middle of the field wide open. Right. And so I'm thinking, um, if anything, you know, this is where they need to start turning that heat up and, and putting a little pressure on it and say, hey, guys, we're halfway through the season. We've accomplished our goal up to this point. However," It only gets harder going forward, and so this exactly. is where we need to. We got this extra time off. Let's regroup. You know, we're halfway to what our goal is currently. Now, what can we do better? How can we do it better? And this is what we need to implement. It's kind of, um, you know, they always say there's three seasons: you got the preseason, regular season, and, and playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and SMU is headed into that second season now, and so yeah. it's time to to dial it up. We got to go. We got to go.
1: Yeah, 100%, man. It's, uh, you know, after this Tulane game, SMU enters a pretty brutal stretch the rest of their schedule um, through from October 30th next Saturday at Houston to uh, November 20th at Cincinnati. So three of those four games that they play on that stretch is at Houston, at Memphis, home versus UCF, and at Cincinnati. That's going to be a brutal stretch. They have to, you know, start playing, start getting into that mentality of uh, playing their best ball, heading into the, as you know, a lot of teams would do playoffs, but you know, they're not going to get to the, you know, there's no playoffs except for the, the four. But you know what I mean though, right?
0: It's, Absolutely. Into it's, the, it's time to create that identity. Yep. You know, we, we, we talked about, we've seen a different version of this team almost every week. Yep. And so now it's time to create that identity.
1: And I mean, Just from a narrative perspective, I want so desperately to see a ranked SMU, undefeated SMU team going against a ranked, undefeated, number two, maybe number one Cincinnati squad. I mean, just that would be bananas to have a highly ranked SMU team that's undefeated from the AAC against, you know, a highly rated Cincinnati squad who had a 3% chance of getting into the playoffs before the season started and now are, you know, are, are sitting pretty. So that would be a, a great uh, penultimate regular season matchup if the, those two can navigate the waters and get there.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100%. And you want to see those. You know, those are the games that, you know, help bolster the program. You want to see, you know, holding on to these wins and those rankings and continuing to climb so that you do have these big games. You do get those big showdowns.
1: Absolutely. So I'm glad you mentioned that. We kind of talked about, um, conference mates and bolstering the program and everything like that. I want to flip gears now. We've talked about Tulane. I want to switch it over to conference realignment talk. And Mm -hmm. within the last 24 hours, we've had reports that it was going to happen, and then the applications finally being sent. The AAC, after being approached by Conference USA to talk about regionalization last week and, you know, not having the overlap of teams, the AAC got applications from Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, UNT, UTSA, Rice, and UAB to make it a 14-team conference. I am I love the chaos that everything is, that's happening with conference realignment. However, with these additions, these six schools coming in, I feel like this just completely dilutes what the AAC has been trying to champion the last few years of being that power six conference. Um, these six, I do not believe, make up for the loss of Cincy, UCF, and Houston in terms of a, uh, where the programs are, and, and, and talent-wise. Markets are gonna be, that's, that's, that's hard to justify. Uh, money's gonna be the, the big driving factor, but I don't, I don't think <clears throat> for SMU's sake, if we're going to be looking at it from a uh, SMU color lens, I don't think this does well for the Mustangs because it just creates more competition within the state of Texas now um, between UNT and SMU in the DFW metro area. Then you've got UTSA, which is going to have the, the Central Texas, and now Rice you know, taking up the spot for the Houston area. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I do agree that it doesn't – to me, it doesn't help do what the conference has been working towards, you know, these past few years. If anything, it's kind of a a reincarnation of the old conference USA back when I was in school. Right. 10 years ago,
1: they did the same things. Yep.
0: Right. We, I played against UAB in conference. I played against Rice in conference. Like what, you know, what are we doing? Are we trying to strengthen the conference, which I think they've done a great job of doing here in recent years, or as you said, we're just, we're adding names, just add names at this point. I feel like, and you're bringing them in, you're making a 14 team conference, which to me, if we were getting a lot of, as you said, talent-wise teams, stronger teams, it makes sense. But when you're looking at some of these smaller programs that haven't seen a ton of success recently, to me, it just doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, the the only ones that really made sense in, in my mind were, uh, UTSA and UAB, um, just considering their recent football success. Uh, Alabama, you know, it's deep south college uh, town, Birmingham. So there's a lot of talent there to, to, to work with, and they've been since they had their own self imposed death penalty or whatever you want to call it uh, a few years ago. They've really come back and and, and re- Put a big emphasis on athletics and more specifically football. You and right. UTSA, they're ranked. I uh, think for the first time in program history, uh, they're ranked. And Texas is not, so they've got some momentum there. And um, I, to me, that but everybody else just seems like a lateral move, and as like I said, just kind of dilutes the conference. Um, so it's just it's it's unfortunate because I think SMU uh, is was on the is, is a team that's on the precipice of being one of those. Power 5 invites. I think they just got left off this round just because uh, – well, I, not just because. I understand why the Big 12 did not invite SMU for a number of reasons. One was the market issue that they're having <clears> – <throat> excuse me, with TCU not drawing anything within its own footprint of the area on TV. Outside of Texas and OU games, the rest of the Big 12 conference draws absolutely nothing. And so that's yeah. – that's that's a big reason why the why Texas and OU went to the SEC because they always pull numbers. It's just they breed football and everything else is is secondary. Right. But uh, I'm I'm champion, championing uh, SMU going to the Pac-12. Geographically, it makes absolutely no sense. I get that, <laughs> but we're, we're past that now. Where we had, I think at one point we had some schools in in the Mountain Time Zone playing schools in the Eastern time zone or something like that. Isn't right. Boise playing against some, some schools in the Eastern time zone pretty regularly. And Gonzaga yep, yep. was considered, uh, to be a, a draw for the big 12 or, or the a- AAC or something like that. in basketball, It just, we're past regionalization Jeez. and geography. At, um, at this point, my feeling was, you know, you had, you had Sonny Dykes who knows the, the West coast already having coached at Cal. um, all the transplants from California coming into the DFW area, they would be able to watch their team, um, play against, you know, uh, SMU when they're at home, kind of get those warm, fuzzy feelings, or whatever, about, mm-hmm. you know, seeing their former school or whatever that they went to and now living in the DFW more regularly. Right. You also get, you also tap into the top five market, uh, TV wise. If you're the Pac 12, you already have Los Angeles, you already have Seattle, San Francisco. Why not bring in Dallas, uh, right. and then you you open that recruiting floodgate as well. You know the SEC did it when they got A and M. Why not the Pac twelve do it with uh, with with, the, with SMU? I just think right. SMU, uh, and again these are re- SMU colored glasses. I know that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at them at, as, but
0: right. they they Best have got scenarios.
1: yeah they have got to. I, if you're Hart, Rick Hart AD Rick Hart, you've got to get this school into a more prime position than just being one of another redux of Conference USA. That's basically what's happened.
0: Right. That's exactly what it is. And um, I actually, I was against the PAC-12. I heard uh, somebody say that before, and I was like, no, and it doesn't make sense, but you bring up some good points, especially when you speak about, you know, regionally, that's kind of all breaking down at this point when they're looking at, you know, these schools and competition and TV markets and money and all of that. Nobody cares about where, where your school is located if the money looks right mm-hmm. and they're bringing in the views. Right. Yep. And so uh, I definitely think it, it would make sense. And like you said, especially with Sonny being familiar with, you know, all the schools out there, he was out there for, you know, a time being. And so being able to, Jump into that conference. Like you said, just as, as SMU in general, going into a bigger conference, we need to get more eyes on it. It'll help get us more competitive and, um, definitely sitting around and letting the conference get watered down again. I don't think is the move as well.
1: Yeah. I, I, that, I that's just my thing. It's just you're, you're waiting for, for the dominoes to come around you and, and fall. And I, I think if you're Rick Hart, um, for twofold, you want you want to to boost the profile of the of the program. I don't think you do that anymore now with the AAC as a, as it's going to be constructed in a few years. Secondly, being proactive allows you to potentially retain sunny Dykes, and that's a huge thing because there's, there's rumors. You know, uh, Joe Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News has, has written about it because it's natural to start thinking about these group of five teams which, that have success. Their coaches are going to get poached. You know, I, I know Sonny loves it here. I know he loves building what he's built and everything. But you got to know that the money is going to be better elsewhere. The, the, the success might be better elsewhere at another power five. You know, maybe he wants to go to Washington State. You know, now that's open. Um, you that's that's an idea that he would, would, would uh, look at. But you know, if if Rick Hart is is wanting to keep Sonny here and and really really build SMU into a uh, a power five program, get him into a conference that matches that, and you keep your your coach that you've uh, you've built this platform with, you know, I, Sonny's done right. a hell of a job with the transfer portal and and recruiting the Dallas kids and everything like that. I mean, keeping that intact is, I think, should be number. 1A or 1B, however you want to look at what's more important, being in a, pre- a preeminent conference or keeping your, your head coach so you can keep building off that and have a successful transition like you did with Larry Brown to Tom Jankovic.
0: Absolutely. And I think just kind of like you said, one um, comes with the other. You get another conference, your chances of keeping your coach jump dramatically. You know? Yep. And then also increasing that fan base and – you know, it's the fans are very loyal, but there's not a whole lot of them when you're in that stadium. You know, there's a lot of empty seats in the stadium. So I think being able to to expand that exposure and build up the fan base, of course winning cures everything, which is why we've kind of seen more and more people in the stands as, you know, tenure continues to go through. But definitely, as you said, getting into a bigger conference, getting us on T V more often, even like you said, if we've got um fans of other schools coming in to watch us play, fans in the stands are fans in the stands regardless, right?
1: Absolutely. And you
0: want that good football environment. You want for that to be a a plus. You want for it to be, you know, that 12 man when somebody's coming into your stadium. And so I definitely um definitely agree we, we gotta see what we can get figured out conference wise because, you know, I clearly the the AEC is going to be weakened with, you know, these other schools leaving out. And so staying in a weekend conference, to me, doesn't, doesn't to me, help anybody.
1: All right, yeah, I couldn't say it any better. I mean, just from a nuts and bolts perspective, talking about fans, would you rather, as a casual fan, uh, if you're in the North Dallas area, Highland Park area, would you rather go see FAU take on SMU or would you rather see USC take on SMU if you just casually want to go to a football game? I mean, <laughs> a that's a no-brainer, exactly. Nobody cares about the Florida Atlantic Owls or, you know, what uh, last chance U quarterback has transferred over there. I mean, that's a – nobody cares <laughs> at that point. But USC comes right. in, UCLA with Chip Kelly. I mean, he, they come in or whatever in a couple of years. That's yeah. I, I just – that just reinvigorates everything, uh, you know, the interest, as you said, just the fans coming in and, and – you know, buying those tickets, uh, selling out Ford, and uh, it just it creates a gigantic snowball effect. And really, I think uh, with, with staying with the AAC, you're basically just pushing a rock up the hill just so it can fall back down. you have having to do it again.
0: Absolutely. you got to start all over. Yep. Especially, as you mentioned, if somebody comes and coaches our coach.
1: Yeah, and it's going to happen. Uh, I, I can't see Dyke staying here maybe m- more than one or two more years. Um, mm-hmm. if, if he gets, if he has a su- successful run and he doesn't, uh, you know, stumble, fart and fall down at the end of this year, I mean, he's going to get poached. Somebody's going to throw some money at him. Hell, maybe even TCU throws money at him if Gary Patterson is no longer the, the, in flavor over there. You know, right. um, that would be a huge, kicking the nuts for SMU fans, but you know, there's there's gonna be opportunities and um I it's I, I want to see Dykes stay. He's a nice guy. He's he's definitely recruited well and the kids just play their hearts out for him. Same thing with Jim Levitt. He's probably gonna get a job. Um so you're gonna have to fill that hole potentially. So uh, right. it's it's it staying in place is not is is basically a backwards move is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Absolutely. All right, so switching gears a final little talking point that we wanted to talk to you guys about, and thank you for tuning in to the SMU uh, Believe in SMU podcast. Again, Brian McCann, I'm Steven Peters. Talk about portal talk. Uh, now, Brian, you weren't fortunate enough to be around uh, at SMU when the portal was, uh, became about. and I mean, transferring was a thing, don't get me wrong, but you had to do the whole year, and you didn't have the power as a player that, you, that kids do now. Um, and there's been a lot of throwing out there, and this is uh, big market radio talk, but it's the Rattler idea to SMU. And I just – there's no way on God's green earth that that is going to happen is kind of what I'm believing, um, what I'm kind of hearing as well. Uh, one, Rattler hasn't thrived in Riley's OU offense. He's not going to be able to thrive <laughs> in Riley's SMU offense.
0: SMU offense. So <laughs> the exact same thing.
1: Um now talent is going to be different against who he's going against on a weekly basis. I get that, but he just hasn't shown that he can take the reins and lead his teammates. That's another thing. He doesn't have the leadership ability, and there's yeah. no way in there's no way in heck a five star, predetermined Heisman, uh, trophy candidate would come into SMU to sit behind a guy he started over. Because not at all. Because if he's coming in, he's wanting to start. He's probably been told he's going to start. That means. Mordecai is leaving, and or Stone is leaving, and you got to keep yep, those guys yep, happy. So yep,
0: yep, that's
1: that's yep. been my my uh, my take on that. I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on the idea that's been thrown out about Rattler coming to SMU. Again, I don't think it's happening.
0: I don't think As, it holds any water. I don't I, think it holds any water. It wouldn't even make sense. But yeah, you have too game many game quarterbacks game in the game. room. That and then what we just got through talking about. Like he's not going to be in a a, a big conference. If he transfers, in my opinion he's going to another big school. He's gonna do the the Jalen Hurts, right? He's yeah. not leaving he's not leaving on you to, to come down to Dallas to play at SU. It's just not happening. Not with his notoriety, not with like you said, a system that he already hasn't done too well in and um, yeah, I just it that that doesn't even I hadn't heard that until you had Said something to me about it, but even if I had, it wouldn't have been you know. Yeah, no I mean, no reason to get excited about it, There's no reason to think that that's even a possibility.
1: I honestly think we're headed to Rattler being the Martell Tate type of player or the D. Eric King, where they're just that. Five different schools in two years, just because they're they're not happy with the way the the, the window was Windex the night before or something like that. It's just he seems. I mean, Rattler Rattler seems like kind of a prima donna uh, as a quarterback, and I I don't want that. I I I want my quarterback to be happy where he is. I want. I, I definitely don't like. I, I, nothing. And let's preface this. He hasn't said he's going anywhere, but just because a an 18-year-old true freshman has now started and played well in six quarters, uh, the, the writing's on the wall for, for Rattler and OU. Um, Absolutely. But I, I don't – and as we've already seen it with another, a couple other players already in college football, you know, already announcing that they're going to transfer in the middle of the season. Man, just take your lumps. Go to practice. Shut up, and then announce after the season. Don't be a distraction to your teammates. Don't be a distraction yeah, exactly. for the program. Uh, maybe that's a bit of an old school take. Uh, I'm not obviously. You and I are no, no longer eighteen, nineteen years old playing a game that we've been playing for uh, years. So it's it, you know the, the mentality of uh, of, of generation changes for sure. But still, it's just
0: and, and that's probably part of it too. You know, we didn't have um, we didn't have the media at our fingertips, right? Yep. We wanted to make an announcement like that. We had to write it. You know, a newspaper had to report it. Mm-hmm. And what the newspaper asking you that in the middle of the season, like you said, they're going to wait till the season's over. and we'll talk about it or whatever it may be. Yeah. But when you you these cell phones are now media devices. Right. And so yep. these guys can go out there and make their own headlines whenever they're ready to. And so I get it. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it, but I understand it from the player's perspective, right? I'm going to get this out there as early as I can so that every possible opportunity, school, coach, whatever it may be, knows that I'm on the open market, period.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, the, the power, as we mentioned to begin the podcast, is kind of – Shifted well, not kind of. It is drastically shifted over to the players, and that you know, good for them. I'm glad they have name, image, and likeness, and they're able to make money off of that and right. have the power to transfer and play immediately without, um, you know, repercussions of missing a year and stuff like that. It's, I think it's good. Um, in that regard, I just some of them I, I don't like the way they go about it. Um, that's just you know, I, again, that's the old school mentality. I you know, I'm only 36, but I still have some. Some old soul ideas that just you no. Know, I, I don't don't disrupt things just for your own benefit. Don't be a just, distraction. Right. Yeah, don't but, be a distraction.
0: But that kind of tells you what you need to know about that person as a player as well, right? If, sure. If they if they're more interested in being a distraction as opposed to uh, you know following through it to especially when you look at a program like OU who is fighting to get into the playoffs. I think they're the only team that hasn't lost a game, but they keep falling in the polls every time you turn around. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And, and so when y'all are, you, you got a program that's in that type of situation where they're trying to figure it out, which it appears they have with Caleb Williams, but why are you throwing, you know, bugs on the fire? It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, 100% correct. Um, but, you know, as a former player, I, and as I said earlier, you didn't really get to take advantage of uh, nil or uh, the transfer portal as it um, stands currently. Just what, do you, I mean, what would 18-year-old, 19-year-old Brian McCann, what would he have done with that kind of power uh, during that time if you were allowed to?
0: I don't know that the transfer, transfer portal would have made that much of a difference for me. I, You know, I lost my coach after my sophomore year, got a whole new staff in, all that stuff, so I was blessed to always have a position on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind, of like, just kind of like that old school mentality, I had two 1-11 seasons back-to-back at SMU. But it was never a thought to me to even try to want to go somewhere else and play, right? Mm -hmm. I I didn't register, so I could have went, used my register, year. still had, you know, eligibility left. But it's like, no, I want to fight to get better, period. It's not about leaving. It's not about running. Like you said, you take the lumps, you learn from it, you get better, and you grow from it. And so I don't know that the the transfer portal would have made uh, much of a difference. Now, that NIL, that's definitely a game changer. Sure. Um, And I like it. And then I don't like it at the same time. Right. It is. Everybody knows, you know, you can lose your ability to play this game at any moment. All it takes is, you know, a bad a bad fall, a bad jump, a bad hit, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it's gone. And and clearly it's first year we've had it. So it'll take some time to really kind of see. But I'm wondering if it's going to encourage a lot of these students to not pursue, you know, graduating. If they're in their mind, oh, you know, I'm already making this type of money. I'm already making that type of money. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't got to go to class. I don't have to, you know, walk across that stage. I don't have to push for it. And so it'll definitely be interesting to to see the effects that it has in that regard. Um, Myself, I definitely probably wouldn't wouldn't have been responsible enough to even do anything that would have um, really benefited me in the long run. If, you, if you're giving me tons of cash, like you said, at 18, 19 years old, mm-hmm. um, you know, first time out of the house, living on your own, probably would have just been blowing it on stuff that made no sense.
1: Yeah. Like the uh, $15,000 cell phone that uh, Jalen Rose paid for, they never used, right? With his first exactly. contract. Yeah.
0: Exactly. That type of stuff or, or, you know, going in and buying a brand new car. I was like, for what, dude? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But, you know, you're, you're still growing. You're not even really an adult at that point, your mind is still growing, you're still developing, you're still learning. And, and part of it too, is probably wouldn't even appreciate the value of a dollar, right? Right. Coming that easy. And you're that young in your mind, you know, this is just what life is. And for those that are blessed to be able to continue to play ball and go pro and have long careers and all that stuff that is life. but you know, the percentages on that are few and far between.
1: Right. Yeah, that's something I was explaining to my daughter about, you know, these guys have been playing, she's asking me, these guys have been playing football their whole lives? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I try to break it down a little bit, like, use my arms as as an example. Like, here's your football for high school. Here's your football players for middle school. And, you know, I reduce the size by, you know, 60%, and then I reduce it even more to, like, Ten percent left, like here's, or one percent left. Like, here's how many make it to the NFL and play on TV that you're watching right now. You know, it's yeah. it's not guaranteed, and I, I can I can definitely see where the you know like like in the Rattler case, you know, he he may transfer and become great quarterback uh, that he was destined to be, um, and fulfill that NIL that you know he was he's being paid right now to be at o, the OU starting quarterback, or you know he could flame out. You know, he could mm-hmm. be Martell Tate, where we 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 think we have the next Peyton Manning on our hands, and then lo and behold, he's Ryan Leaf before he even gets out of college, you
0: know? <laughs> right, right, right. So and that's the thing that would be interesting to watch with him. You brought it up earlier, it was just that leadership quality, right? And leadership and decision-making. You see a lot of uh throws when he was throwing interceptions. He's just kind of trying to force the ball in and making bad decisions. And so I definitely think – um if he decides to transfer out i think we'll learn the most about him once he makes it to his next destination
1: yeah i yeah i 100% agree and he he'll be an interesting case study because he's he's one of he, likely one of one to to do what he's having done which is being an NIL starting quarterback get bench and then have to transfer out, you know, and it'll be fun to watch, um, you know, with regards to NIL and, and the transfer portal overall, I, I've had these ideas that we're going to be, I think, entering after we get conference realignment settled this time around, I think we're going to be entering the uh, a situation where we're finally going to have the, I mean, it's been the way that way for a while, but the, FBS, especially the Power uh, Power Five conferences, are going to be a legit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, minor leagues for the NFL. You know, we've tried the XFL, we tried the AFL. Um, it, it, yeah. it hasn't worked or sustained. But you know, NCAA football it's sustainable uh, because there's so much passion and pageantry and history behind it. I think we will yeah. see the, the Power Five become the minor leagues with, with regard to transfer portals and the NIL where
0: players or, or just the SEC Either or way. just, yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> or the SEC they'll gobble
1: up all the all the good teams it'll just yeah it'll just be the SEC and everybody else will be FBS
0: um, is, that'll be
1: it. <laughs> yeah but my idea is that you know you're going to see if you know for SMU's sake you know they they stay in the AAC they're going to be that team where Somebody is, da- is now sent to the minors, basically, you know, a kind of a baseball uh, so illusion, or 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 to the G League, or whatever it's called now, um, to where they're being sent down, and but they can be then poached by another team if necessary after a year or so to yep. you know fill a spot. Um, and that's kind of how I see the tiers breaking down. You're going to have FBS, and you're going to have Power Five uh, minor league system to where you they, they those players are getting some sort of payment because of NIL. While the rest are, are trying to work up to that tier, or, uh, you know, someone has fallen from good graces in the F, uh, in that group of power, or the Power Five goes down to the, to the miners, uh, like an SMU just to, you know, uh, reboost their stock. It's, I, that's kind of how I see it going out, uh, in the long run. I, I could be way off, but it just seems like where, where we're, we're trending.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there isn't a, a true, um, Developmental league for football and so where these guys that you said can go and get paid and so i definitely think you're not too far off it'll it'll you know take a few years till it fully develops and get there but i definitely think that's the path that is headed down for sure
1: yeah well, all right man um any last thoughts before we wrap up episode two of the S- believe in SMU podcast
0: um not sports-wise, um, just with the podcast, guys, we appreciate you listening. Please share it. Uh, give us any feedback. If you guys have any questions, we are definitely um, tweeting out these links or posting them on our social media. So if you come across them, if you have questions, definitely shoot us any questions you guys may have, and we will, you know, answer a few of them or respond to them on our future episodes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great point. You know, we'll, we'll try to be as as, uh, as open and communicative as, as you guys are to us and uh, – Make sure that, um, you know, you subscribe and and listen to what we're giving you. I mean, Brian's got some great insight being a former SMU player and, uh, also a fan on, um, in his, in his life now. And, you know, me on the inside as a reporter, it's, uh, I think give you a good one-two punch, um, that you aren't getting anywhere else. Uh, Brian, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll catch, catch up on Friday after SMU's, uh, I guess, big win over Tulane, Tulane, is
0: that right? (laughs) Yep, after the blowout win over Tulane.
1: All right, man. Hey, it was good connecting with you. And, uh, you know, stick around uh, later in this week, and we'll have episode three after the SMU-Tulane game. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.